0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. I'll tell you up front. I'm going to give you a couple of things up front so that you can follow along with me. It's why I chose the bottom line to sound strange. The bottom line this morning is going to be succumb to the love of God. When I told my wife what the bottom line was, she said, is there a different word for succumb? And I said, yeah, but nothing really gets at the meaning. Nothing really conveys what I want to convey, because if I choose a word that makes sense in normal day context, if it's a word that you would use in daily relationships, it is probably a word that wouldn't convey any new insight or any um, particular angle to the love of God that I want to give to us this morning as we relate to our families, as we relate to the family of Christ or the body of Christ, as we relate to the world outside of these walls, as we relate to coworkers, as we relate to anyone and everyone. So, the bottom line this morning is succumb, succumb the love of God. Now, I said I was going to give you a couple more things, so let me give you two more things so that as we navigate this passage, you are not floundering in the water. Because as I looked at this throughout the week, as I took a look at it on Monday, and again on Tuesday, and again on Wednesday and Thursday, I personally felt a little bit like I was floundering. You remember the yellow fish from Little Mermaid flounder who just with his small little flippers, flips through the water, flounder. I remember being on the California coast, and I'm no surfer, although I have surfed. I remember trying to teach myself how to surf, because we didn't grow up close enough to the beach in order to, uh, in order to take lessons or for it to be something uh, constant or consistent for us. So uh, one day we were staying at a, a beach house for family vacation, and I grabbed the surfboard at... House and I walked down to the beach, and for the next two hours, I tried to teach myself how to surf. Now, I'm not sure if this is good surfing form or good surfing theory, but here's what I discovered by experience. When you fall off the board, don't try to right yourself. Go with the current. Flip over and over and over as many times as it takes, and don't try to swim up before you're ready. Two reasons. The surfboard floats. And if you're swimming up while the surfboard is crashing down with its pointed end facing toward you, you're in for a world of hurt. I did have a couple of bloody noses, things like that. So when you fall off the board, let the water take you. Spin, turn, uh, flip, do whatever it takes to go with the flow of the water. And it's actually the best thing for you. Because after things stop moving, that's when your body rights itself. The bubbles start to ascend, and you can get to the top of the water as well. Go with the current. Go with the current. And that's one of the things I want you to know this morning, is that the passage that we're looking at is a bit like the ocean. Now, I've not been to the coast here yet, but I hear that there are not nearly as big of waves here in Alabama or Florida than there are along the California coast. But I think that you could still understand and that you still know, even if you've just gone rafting, what it's like to be submerged in the water and to find the current, to find the flow of the water, and for that to give you the ground, no pun intended, the ground that you need in order to find your way out. So here's what we find with 1 John 4, 7 to the end. Go with the current. And sometimes the flow, sometimes the current, sometimes the ebb, the waves will come in and they'll crash upon you. And then another one will come and crash upon you. And a third one will come and it will crash upon you. And that's okay. Let it happen. Let it happen. You see, we have three things recurring in 1 John 4 7 to the end. We have truth or knowledge confession, truth, we have affection, or heart, or will, impetus, the engine that gets you going. So we have truth, we have affection, and we have action. Truth, affection, and action. Action I don't think needs any particular explanation except that you actually do it. A lot of us think about the action and think that that's the action. This text doesn't let us do that. This action has to actually be done. So, truth, affection, and action. Or you could say obedience. Now, as we look at First John 4, 7 to the end, don't think that you have it all figured out. The second you do, another wave, if you're looking for it, is going to come and crash upon your head, and you need to go with it. I do have one final upfront comment in order to make our passage through 1 John 4 a little smoother. And it's this. When we see the words love and hate, love and hate, they're not primarily emotional. There is emotion attached. There is passion in it. But they are not primarily foundational, first and foremost, emotions. We've seen what love can do to the hottest of celebrities, but that's not the love we're talking about. The love that we're talking about is choice. It is moving toward someone or something. Or, in the case of hatred moving away from someone or something. It's like when God loved Jacob, yet hated Esau. doesn't mean that God was passionately angry with Esau. We see, in fact, how he blesses Esau. But rather, when we see God loving Jacob and hating Esau, we see that God chooses Jacob to bring his blessing to the earth. So, love is a choice. Hatred, or hate, is a choice. It's not primarily an emotion, and you can do something to change it. All right, let's read our text. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. God. For our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son Must also love his brother. The word of the Lord. As we start this passage, John is rounding off his letter toward the end, and we'll see the final chapter, chapter five, next week. But John is rounding off his letter toward the end, and he's coming back to themes and concepts that he's seen over and over and over again, and he's trying to convince us of. And one is obvious the one that repeats so many times through this passage, the idea of love. It goes back all the way to the first chapter of 1 John. It heads off almost every new section when John says, Beloved, and he calls us by the name Beloved so that we might remember we are loved by God. But there are other things as well. Truth, for example. Knowledge. Knowledge. And truth is more than just knowledge. But here's what John says. Beloved, we know. We know. You see, John has been repeating these concepts over and over again, almost like he's weaving a tapestry together so that we can see over and over again the different ways that these concepts play into each other. We have seen love talked about, in a couple of different ways. But right now, he wants to speak to those of us who already know that God is love. Do you know that God is love? Some of us find our strength in our knowledge. I've been in church this many years. I've taught Sunday school this many years. I've gone to these conferences, and I've held these books in my hand, and I've read them cover to cover. And I've studied scripture for myself, and I can make notes. And my Sunday school class knows that I know that God is love. Some of us find our strength in our knowledge, and that's not a bad thing. In fact, John would encourage it, because we know that God is love. But John seems to choose those of us who look at knowledge of God and hold it as our primary claim to what Christianity is and say, it's you I'm talking to. You're the person that I want to convince right now because you think that you know everything. And you're not audacious, you're not, you're not arrogant about it but you just find comfort. And just as your brother or your sister in Christ, your spouse or your family member might be the one who loves easily, might be the one whose affection pours out of their sleeves for their neighbor. And just as your other spouse, your, well, your other friend, your other family member, <laughs> or your spouse if they were alternately inclined, does really well with actions, right? You see their hands. You see them doing things every day. They're, they're in the kitchen. They're preparing food. They're serving others. They're putting up chairs. They're putting up tables. They're taking it back down. They're cleaning things up. You've seen them, and you know how good they are with their hands. And praise God for those of us whose hearts bleed for those who are hurting for those who are lost, for those who are just trying to find their way. And praise God for those of us who do with their hands what we are so, it's so hard for us to do. And praise God that there are those of us among us who love God with our minds, and it's just what we are good at, the way that God wired us. You see, it takes all of us for the body to work. And that's the way God intended it. Head, heart, and hands all together. And it isn't so that you have to work really hard to make up what you're lacking. It's so that you can look to your brother or your sister and you can say, I need you. I need you. So John writes this passage and he says, beloved, specifically those of us who know what God is like, here's what I want us to talk about this morning. Here's what I want you to read about in my letter, beloved, we know that God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So here, John is opening or uh, continuing this letter, he's opening this section by saying, look, we know what God is like, we know that God is love, we know the things that we've done, but remember, here's the warning. Anyone who knows what God is like or says he does, but doesn't love can't say that he actually knows God. There is no connection there. The person who says that he knows God but doesn't love does not know God. Now, you know some things about God. You know that God the Father sent God the Son to the earth. You know that Jesus became human for our sake, 100% man and 100% God, that he took upon himself the nature that we all experience, except he was without sin, and that he took that human nature through life, day in and day out, and he took it to the cross. He was crucified there on the hill. And John says, we know That he was the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is certainly not a word in our daily context. Propitiation means the turning aside of wrath, the turning aside of anger. When Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, John is telling us look, your sin warranted God's anger. Your sin warranted, it was worth God's hatred, God's judgmental act, his sword to come down upon your head. When we were in our sin, we deserved the wrath of God. And what is wrath, punishment, consequence? The absence of all that is good, the removal of any benefit, the suffering of anything that is not enjoyable. We deserved it because of our sin, but God, God the Father, sent His Son so that Jesus would become the propitiation, the sacrifice, the one that would turn aside the wrath of God. God the Father did it. He sent it. He sent His Son so that He could choose to love with perfect affection so that he could choose to incorporate us into his body. God the Father sent Jesus the Son when we were not worthy, so that in the Son's sacrifice, God could look on him instead of on us, so that his wrath would be turned away and that he could welcome us as his children. And you who know God, you know this. You know this about the love of God, and you know that the love of God is so deep that he would give up his son, his only son, the son whom he loved. He would march him up the hill like Isaac was. He would place him on the sacrifice, and God would go through with it for your sake and for my sake. That because God was perfect and holy, and perfectly loving, and Jesus Himself, the embodiment of love as well, Jesus Himself who was made manifest among us, Jesus Himself who came down as the Son of the Father, as the perfect image of everything that God is, as the, as the fully divine and fully human sacrifice, that Jesus, as the one who loved, would offer his life willingly as an act of love to God the Father, and that he would act, offer it up for your sake and for my sake, that in his love, Jesus would give his own life, just as Isaac, Isaac climbed upon the sacrifice willingly. So, Jesus would march up the hill under his own authority. Jesus is in control. Jesus looks at Pilate. Jesus picks up the cross for love, for love. God the Father and God the Son in perfect unity, in perfect love, offer the propitiation, offer the turning away of wrath for you and for me. Jesus willingly and God the Father willingly put Christ on the cross in a state of utter hopelessness so that you can have hope. God the Father and God the Son lovingly, willingly put Jesus upon the cross to experience betrayal at the hands of the closest friends so that you could experience a homecoming. God the Father and God the Son in perfect love put Jesus upon the cross to experience the torment of infinite death so that you can experience infinite life. God the Father and God the Son in perfect love And perfect unity put Jesus on the cross to experience joylessness, to experience hatred, to experience decay so that you don't have to. brothers and sisters, beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And this isn't an ought to, like a should, like I might have, could have, should have, would have, and under other circumstances. This ought to is an obligation. Who could look? upon Jesus crucified and risen again and say, yes, but I will hate my brother. Who can look at Jesus crucified and risen again and say, yes, God the Father did this for my sake. Yes, God the Son went there for my sake. Yes, the Holy Spirit was in the whole thing, orchestrating everything around it. But me, I will choose my own way. You know the love of God. You have seen it. It came embodied. God in human flesh. He walked the earth in your shoes. We have seen the testimony. God manifest. God made apparent among us. God really here in human skin We have seen his love and we know his love. We bear witness to his love. This is our confession and we know these things. If you know these things, John says, if you know them, you must love. No one has ever seen God And yet, any time we love one another, God is with us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, here's the promise that John gives us in this verse. You haven't seen God. He is invisible. There were many in this time, in the, in the time of John's writing, that wouldn't even have seen the person of Jesus in human flesh. But John is pointing out particularly God the Father. No one has ever seen God. God is the invisible God. And yet, just as in the garden, God placed an image of himself so that we could see what he is like. So now, with Christ gone, ascended to the right hand of the Father, every time and any time you love People see God. God is with us. God abides with us. God dwells with us, makes His home among us. Nobody has ever seen God, but every time you love, God is here. Every time you love, God is here. And His love is complete. His love is perfected when you love. The Bible calls you the body of Christ. Christ is the head, and certainly Christ has his own human body still at the right hand of the Father. But while he is away, we are called the body of Christ, the hands and the feet that do the things that Jesus did. You love like Jesus loved. And if you are attached to that head, how can you do anything but what Jesus would do? Brothers, Sisters, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Where is the oak? Is it in the seed? Is it in the sprout? Is it in the great big tree? Where is the oak? If you were born of Christ, if you are attached to that tree, if you are growing in Christ, if you are growing in love, there is nowhere you can sever the tree and say, yeah, there that is, but here I am. I am my own free individual. I have free choice or free will, if you want to call it that, and I can do whatever I want to do. I don't have to do what Jesus did. Where is the oak And if you cut off the branch, is the smoldering wood really part of the tree? Or does it just keep you warm at night? Where is the oak tree? And if you break that seed in half and you throw it in the trash, will it ever give life? Where is the oak? For those of us who call ourselves by the name of Christ, you do not have the authority to remove yourself from Jesus, the head. Whatever he does, you do also. Brothers, sisters, if God has loved us, we also ought to love one another get swept up in the current, succumb to the current of God's love. You see, here is the knowledge, the things that we know about God, the things that we know about Jesus when he came to earth. And some of us see or feel the experience of the wave crashing over us, of everything that Christ has done. And we want to write ourselves immediately, this is what I know. And you swim to the top But the text isn't over yet. And if you swim to the top now, you will not bring life to what you know. Get swept in the current and let it push you along. John isn't done with us yet. Those of us who know what Jesus has done, there is more to come. You must love, you must show toward others, action pertaining to the love of Christ, the propitiation, the turning away of God's wrath. And here's the kind of love that it is. It's the kind of love that puts things on your own back so that they don't have to. Here's the kind of love that Christ gave for us. Here's the kind of love that the Father gave to us. It's the love that takes upon yourself the debt It's the love that takes upon yourself the hardship. It's your love that takes upon yourself the anger that you feel so that you don't have to look at the other with it. You remove whatever it is that makes you angry. You remove whatever it is that makes you sad. You remove whatever it is that hinders that relationship And you put it upon yourself so that you can love them, so that you can choose them, so that you can move in action toward them, so that you can do good to them. Here's what the passage continues to say. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Notice the word confession. So here we have knowledge and truth again. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. brothers and sisters who don't struggle with affection or who don't struggle with action. Thank you. We need to see you. The body of Christ needs to see the hands and the heart beating and moving. Thank you for what you do, and please continue to do it so that those of us who are a little further behind in that area can keep moving on toward what we know we should do. We have the confession and we know what it is. And when you struggle to put it into words, please come to us so that we can explain to you what it is that Christ has done and why it matters. But keep doing what you are doing. We can't have the body of Christ short-circuiting itself and everybody severing themselves off so that those who do stuff are over here and those who feel stuff are over here and those who think stuff are over here. We need you. And nobody is exempt. Those who know must feel. Feel is a little bit of the wrong word, but we'll get there in just a minute. Those who think, feel. Those who feel, do. Those who do, think. Those who think, do. Those who do, feel. And those who feel, think. Head, heart, and hands. God put you in this body for a purpose for a reason and it's not some ethereal concept that you have to try to figure out the will of god for your life it's not something that you have to flip open the bible and choose a word and see that as a prophecy for your your for what you're supposed to do god put you here for a reason and that reason according to john love one another love bear up with people's weaknesses when you see the person who knows a lot or has fancy feelings for people not doing what you're able to do, please don't look down on them. Help them. And people who know stuff, when you see those who are doing stuff, but they don't have the words to express what they're supposed to believe as a believer, or when you see those who have the feelings and you and you know that they want to do stuff, they just never seem to they're too spiritual, they're too, they, don't, they don't ever quite get the substance like you think you do, don't look down on them. Help them. And those of you whose heart has been transformed by the grace of Christ and so you want to go out and do stuff, and you want to go out and know stuff, but sometimes you just struggle with getting it done, or sometimes you just struggle with putting it into your head and thinking it over and really understanding it, Don't look down on the others. Don't look down because they seem to be doing something and it's just a drudgery for them. Don't look down on the ones who know stuff because they don't seem to be really caring about it. Help them, love them, and show them in your action. Show them in your attitude. Show them in your words what the love of God is like. Because if Christ was the propitiation for our sins, we also ought to bear up on ourselves any weakness that we see in order to look on them with love. But affection... Let's talk to you. Affection. Or for those who are struggling in this area, for those who know stuff, or for those who do stuff but don't know what affection actually is. The love of Christ transforms your affection so that now you want to do stuff. And again, it's not primarily an emotion, it's not primarily a passion. It is the impetus, or it is the pull, the tug. It's the initial gusto that gets you to do something. The love of Christ informs your affection so that you can love one another. So that when you see your brother and your sister, you are pulled toward them. You choose them over something else. You choose love not hate. Affection. You are the engine. You are the one that pulls us in the direction or pushes us where we go. Look to your brothers and sisters to know that where you are headed is not just feeling good, but it's aligned with Scripture. And look to those who do stuff, because they are the ones who are going to actually get it done. But nonetheless, those of you who have the affection of Christ, the will to send the Son that the Father had, or the will to go to the cross that the Son had, or the will to be in the midst of it all as the Spirit had, those of you who have the will, keep going. Keep choosing love. When you get knocked down, go again for the good of those around you, not for the good of your own desires. Because remember, our framing reference here is the propitiation of Christ, the bearing up of the wrath of God, the bearing up of, your, of the weaknesses of everyone around you, so that you can look on them with love, not with disdain. Love, not hate. Beloved, we know that God is love. We have seen the Son. And the Son came by His own will, by His own affection. He embodied the truth, and He actually went to the cross. We also ought to love one another beloved. Nobody has ever seen God, but every time you love, God is among us. And it's not some wishy-washy, happy thought of God. It's not some abstract idea or concept that God is just this happy feeling, this mysterious secret that we can attain or that we can bring into our midst. No, John tells us, it's the Holy Spirit, the very breath. Of God that hovered over the waters of the deep in creation. The very breath that compelled Christ into the desert and that Christ breathed out at the cross. God is among us. So, how do we do it? How do we love one another? Remain in Christ, Jesus said. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Remain in me. But here's the thing that we so often miss in our, in our current time, in our current era. We think that remaining in me means giving Jesus a 15-minute quiet time. But do you know what Jesus said when he told his disciples that? If you love me, you obey my commandments. If you love me, you obey my commandments. And what is Jesus' commandment? There are a couple of things, not many. But do you know what he said the most significant is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Sounds a little familiar. And love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go make disciples teaching them to obey everything I commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Obey the commandments of Jesus. And as we think about things, as we consider how to do this, there is one hiccup that we're sure to have, and it's this. If I don't feel like it, it'll be hypocrisy if I do it. I tell you? That's exactly what the devil, who is a liar, wants you to think. Tell me where in Scripture God says, feel this, then do it. No, no, no. He often, almost every time says, I have loved you, now go love others, or I have chosen you, now go do this thing. So often there comes God's God's movement toward us before anything happens. Almost every single time, God has chosen you when you were undeserving, but because he has chosen you, you go out. But never, never in Scripture does he say, first, wait for the feeling, and then go do the thing that you're feeling. Even the affection we're talking about this morning is more, is more substantial, right? It's something that is pulling you towards someone or something. It's an action, it's a, or it's, a, it's the beginning part of the action. It's the oak seed right before it becomes a sprout. There is nowhere in Scripture, and if you can find it, please let me know, there is nowhere in Scripture that waits for you to feel something before you do what is right. Here's the secret that we sometimes, most of us, don't recognize. If you do it, you will start to feel it. If you do it, you will start to feel it. It is not inauthentic. It is not hypocrisy. You know the the thing about the Pharisees? People think that the Pharisees are this great example of hypocrisy. And it's true, Jesus called them such. But the, the Pharisees were hypocritical not because they did something without feeling it. The Pharisees were hypocritical because they did something without believing Jesus. Jesus. When you do something because you believe, even when you're not sure how it's going to work out, that is the essence of faith. That is what it means to be faithful. That is what it means to trust God. Because I don't see how it will work. I don't see how it will do any good. I don't see how it could be better this way. But God said it will, so I do it. That... Is faith, not feeling. Jesus said, "If you love me, you will obey my commandments." And here's the promise that comes with it. Here's the promise that comes with it. As you jump into the water, and as you're swept up, as you succumb to the current of Christ's affection, and Christ's Christ's truth, Christ's knowledge, and as you succumb to the, the, to the current of Christ's action and doing, and you do it yourself. You go along with the water, and as you accomplish or do all of these things, in the name of Jesus, as you do all of this, here's what Jesus says to you. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. As you jump into the water... As you see the love of God and as you participate in it, as you swim along with everything that is happening, as you get pushed along the way by your brothers and sisters who are trying to do the same thing, as you succumb to the love of God, succumb to the current of God's love, your confession is purified. Your affection has an end goal. Your action has real meaning. As you get swept in the current of God's love, as you become a participator, as you pattern your life after God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect love, receiving it through you and pushing it on toward others perfect love casts out fear there is no judgment your confession your affection and your action have been aligned to the will of christ if anyone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love god Who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org slash sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.